Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Hey guys, welcome to Fountain City Church's weekend online message. Thanks for joining with us today in your hubs, at your house, across the nation. We hope you're doing well. Uh, Listen, we want to take the next few weeks and we want to dig in a little further about what we believe about who Jesus of Nazareth is. Uh, And scholars and historians have a whole lot to say about this, but what does the Bible say about who Jesus is and how does that inform how we live as followers of Jesus today? Um, Over the past several weeks, we've actually been talking about what it means to be rooted in the Scriptures and anchored in community. And last week, man, Ashley did an incredible job talking about being sparked by the Holy Spirit. Um, And this week, we actually want to focus in on the first of those three pillars. And we just want to ask the question, what does it mean to be people of the Word? And more specifically, what does it mean to be devoted to knowing Jesus through the revelation of the Scriptures? Now, there's an important distinction that we want to make here, um, and that's this, that devotion to the Scriptures, or what we've been talking about out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, um, it wasn't just about becoming experts in Jewish history, um, or you being a scholar in Jewish tradition or ancient Jewish literature. It's about becoming deeply rooted in the story of God and how Jesus Christ is revealed. Um, And so over the next several weeks, as we talk about who Jesus is, we're not going to spend all of our time talking about the importance of reading your Bible. I I kind of hope that that goes without saying, um, that reading the scriptures on a daily basis and learning to meditate and to memorize uh, and to spend daily time in the Word, that that is super important if you're being formed in Christ and learning to follow Jesus. But that's not what this series is going to be about. Rather, we're going to be talking about who the Scriptures point to, and that's Jesus. Um, And for us, like Colossians has this little one-liner that I love. It says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden away in Christ. And so you and I can dig for the rest of our lives in the Scriptures and ask these incredible questions about Jesus and continue to find new wisdom and new revelation and new knowledge because Jesus is just that vast in uh, and how beautiful and wonderful and even mysterious he can be. Um, and so we're going to be talk about, talking a lot about Jesus over the next couple of weeks. Um, and in theological terms, what, what we're talking about is our Christology. And so I want you to say that if you're in a hub this morning, Christology. And that's really the study of the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. Now, why are we taking all this time to do this? <clears throat> um, firstly, our thoughts about who Jesus was and is informs everything else for us as Christ followers. Uh, The early church battled out their core theology of Jesus, and they actually refuted contrary systems of belief, not because they just wanted to fight or they just were really into sitting around and talking a lot, but because what you believe about Jesus is actually forming your faith and the practice of your faith. Now, we don't think about that a lot because most of our theological ideas about who Christ is and the Trinity and all these things that we hold as kind of normative and um, basic, those are things that people fought through for years and years and generations and generations, and then we finally have come to this place to really accept and believe. Um, And so we want you to know that what you believe about Jesus is actually forming you, and it's forming your faith practice. A.W. Tozer says this, He says that what comes into our minds when we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. 
And I might add that what comes into our minds when we think about Jesus has massive implications on how we live. The way that we think about God and God in Christ changes the way that you and I actually live on a Tuesday. And so this is also vital because our culture seeks to make Jesus into our image. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, Tori Amos had this song when I was a kid. Most of you weren't even born yet. Um, But the song went something like this. And I'm not going to sing it because that would be devastating to our church and community and city and all kind of stuff. But she, the, the lyrics said, what if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? Like those are some of the main lyrics to the song. Is somebody wrestling with the nature of God. What if God's actually more like us than we think? And if we as Christ followers, if we're not submitting and surrendering to the scriptures and what the, the Bible has to say about the person and the nature of Jesus, if, if the scriptures aren't speaking to who Jesus really is for us, then it's possible for us to make him whoever we want him to be. And despite popular belief, Jesus is not just our homeboy that we can kind of invite to hang out on a Friday and then deny him any kind of real influence in our lives. Jesus is God in flesh. And so there's some strong demands that that makes on the way that I live and the way that I see him and relate to other people and the way that I live this thing out. And so if we don't know who Jesus is, then we start to lose our grip on God's purposes and who we are as the church. So who is this Jesus? Uh, And what do we believe about him? I want to talk about one of the claims of the apostles um, this morning, but I also want to talk about how this shows up through the narrative arc of the scriptures. So there are these moments of clarity and revelation where the apostles are making clear who it is that Jesus is. And then we can actually look back through the scriptures and we see how this has played out. Uh, So if you got your Bible, turn in it to John chapter 1 verse 1. Um, John is one of my favorite gospels because... There is this intimacy and connection to the works and the miracles of Jesus. And we really see them being played out in such a special way in the Gospel of John. Uh, But John begins his narrative by refuting some like heretical ideas about Jesus. And this is no shocker to us, right? As soon as Jesus comes onto the scene, there are all of these rogue ideas about who he is and who he's not. And John writes the beginning of his Gospel to refute those who believe that Jesus wasn't God to refute those who believe that Jesus wasn't man, and to challenge people who thought that John the Baptist was really kind of the point of all of this. Um, And he really starts to shine a light on Jesus. So let's read together. We're going to read the first five verses and then skip over a little bit. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John writes that in the beginning, before the heavens and the earth were even formed, before anything was created, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, given by Him with purpose and intention. And yet the Word wasn't just with God in creative partnership, but the Word was God. And so, so I want you to hear that, that in the very beginning, the Word of God was with God, but John declares that the Word actually is God also. The Greek word used for Word here, and hopefully we'll have some notes at the bottom just to clarify what I just said. The, the word used for Word is logos. It's a word uttered by the living voice of God, which embodies a conception or an idea. John, looking out at the landscape of his culture and his context, he says that Jesus isn't just 
one or the other, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, He was with God. He, he's declaring that in Christ, we come into contact with the fullness of who God is, of His intention and His mind expressed to bring about His eternal purpose. In Genesis 1, God actually shows us this very clearly. God speaks creation into being. Have you ever noticed that? He doesn't form creation. There's only one creation that God forms, right? It's, it's humankind. But it says that in the beginning, God says, let there be light. And light crackles forth from His mouth like lightning across a night sky. The fullness of His thoughts and His will taking shape is the tangible, living, material world around us. It's the Logos. It's the Word. It's God's spoken intention. He speaks in life and light result. But John doesn't just say that these words are inanimate expressions. It's not God just trying to get a point across um, that has a start and a stop. It's not just like our communication where I start a conversation and I stop a communication. But the Word of God is actually the person of Jesus who is forever. And this is His declaration. That Jesus was not just a finite man who came once upon a time, but that Jesus was the Word who was from the beginning. 1 Peter 1.25 says, All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers and flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And he's not just talking about scriptures written on a page, but the Word of the Lord, Jesus Himself, endures forever. He is the beginning of everything. Verse 3 of John 1 says that everything was made through Him. Think about that for a moment. Everything. I'm, I'm sitting outside of the, in the church's uh, kind of lot. We've got a pecan tree on the other side of me here. Um, I've got a dog barking. We've got kids playing basketball to the left of me. We've got workers over here working on our building. Everything that was created was created by Him. Everything was made through Him and for Him. Verse 4 tells us that in Him is life, that Jesus Himself is life. You can almost hear His words echoed thousands of years later, that I am the way and the truth and the life. He's not just saying, I make you feel alive. He's saying, I am life. The very force that holds my body together in tension, that keeps me living and breathing and existing, is the power of Jesus. Life is from Him, and it's in Him, and that life is the light of mankind. And it's a light that can't be absorbed by darkness or overcome by it. Uh, but actually, the light of Jesus, it, it uh, destroys darkness and chaos. And, and what's the takeaway here for us out of John chapter 1? It's this. That Jesus is God. This is the loud declaration that Jesus makes all through the Gospels. And this is the declaration of John in John chapter 1, is that Jesus is not just a man, even though He is, but Jesus is God. He is infinite and eternal. These are a couple of attributes of, of God. He's eternal because He has no end. And He's infinite because He was also never created. Stop and think about that for a moment. Jesus, who came into this world, was never created. He actually existed with God from the beginning. He has no beginning and no ending. He is, in very substance, God. He is the I Am. I was always blown away as a kid that when God introduces Himself, His name is I Am. Because He never began. He just always has been. Uh, one of my professors in college used to say, His name isn't actually I Am. It's 
I am who I am and I was who I was and I will be who I will be because He is forever in every direction outside of time and space continually existent. He is infinite and He is eternal. And because Jesus is God, Jesus is infinite and He is eternal. He wasn't conceived conceived by a human father and mother, but by the Spirit speaking life into the womb of Mary. The scriptures say that Jesus, or that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And as Jesus is God, we understand that Jesus didn't just have a natural birth, but that actually Mary was a, a virgin and that God spoke life over her womb and Jesus was formed. Famous interviewer and commentator Larry King. Uh, who, if you're my age and older, you definitely know who he is. Um, but if you're a 20-something, you probably don't. And you probably don't care. <laughs> but Larry King was asked a question one time. He was this famous interviewer. He would just bring on famous people and sit and ask them questions. But he was asked the question one time, if there was one question that you could know the answer to unequivocally, what would that question be? And he said, was the birth of Jesus, um, was Jesus actually born of a virgin? Because in his assessment, he said, I would ask if this was true. Why? Because uh, Mr. King argued, if that's true, everything else is different. If the virgin birth actually has taken place, if Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man, everything else changes. And I'm afraid sometimes we've tried to normalize this in Christianity and in our faith culture and in cultural Christianity. We just pretend that this is a normal thing. So we just kind of come to church on Sunday and go through some worship routines and traditions and we forget that we are worshiping the God of all creation who was with God from the beginning and who was born of a virgin. And if that is our cementing reality as a people of faith, that changes the way that I operate in relationship to God. He is not just my homeboy, right? Like He is the author of creation. He is life itself. In Him is light. And God, um, is, God is showing up in flesh through the person of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews actually says in chapter 7 that Jesus is without beginning of days or end of life. And so even though we know that Jesus had this definite birth into the material world, Jesus is eternal and He was before all things since everything was made through Him. But in your wildest imagination, if you were writing the book of John yourself, you wouldn't guess what John writes next. Because some of us, we can actually wrestle with the fact that Jesus is God. Like, we can wrap our minds around the fact that this person comes as a revelation, that God comes to reveal Himself to mankind. And for us, for some of us, that makes perfect sense. Because I can just kind of like put Jesus in this box over here where He's just God. And, uh, and so I don't have to really worry with His commands on my life because He's perfect, so obviously Jesus can do it. But then something happens here. In verse 14 of John chapter 1, He goes on to say that the Word who was in the beginning with God and who was God became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So suddenly we are faced with this shocking reality. The revelation of Jesus is not just that God has come to us, not just come to reveal Himself in cloud and in fire, right, and in, in water. God hasn't just come in some kind of substance. He's actually come in the flesh. And God has become flesh. 
And in Jesus, we face the beauty and the mystery of God. God, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, eternal and immortal and infinite. And God is spirit. And He takes on human frailty and weakness. And yet, He maintains the attributes, the nature of God. But He puts on flesh. Think about it. I've had a cold for like two weeks. Jesus put that on. (laughs) He puts on flesh. He puts on our frailties and our weakness. He removes Himself from the the privilege of uh, heaven's divinity. He takes off His majesty. He clothes Himself. He robes Himself in our weakness. In your weakness. You see, Jesus isn't only fully God, but Jesus is also fully man. Verse 14 actually tells us that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. You know, it's one thing for us to see Jesus as God and to understand His role in creation, right? Spirit breathing and and light and and, and creation forming at at the command of His lips. Like, this thing is otherworldly. This is alien to us. This is the Spirit, the Creator God. But the truly mind-blowing thing to me, the older I get, is that God became a human. That the very things that He formed in intimacy and with kindness in creation, He becomes that. God became. That by itself, if you're a poet, you need to write a poem right now. Stop what you're doing, leave your hub, go write some great poem about the fact that God became something. He left the comforts and the majesty of heaven. He became a servant to us and to the Father. And that is why Jesus is our great apostle. You know, one of the things we have to wrestle with whenever we look at the person and the nature of Jesus is that there is a demand that makes on my life. If Jesus is willing to step out of the comforts and the majesty of heaven to put on flesh in order to love and save us, uh, I want you to know that He commands us to do the same. He commands us to look into communities and people groups and nations and neighborhoods and families with people that we don't naturally want to connect with, but we, we become the kind of people who serve. We become these incarnational people. We allow the Spirit of God to inhabit our lives so that we can step into the broken, despairing places of the world with our apostle Jesus, our missionary Jesus, who teaches us what it's like to step into broken places with divine redemption in our hearts. This is the mission of our Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 tells us this about him. It says, Though he was in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And this is what I hope that you'll take with you today and wrestle with. That Jesus is fully God and fully man. As we study what it means to be devoted to the Word, I think what we will continue to find is that God isn't interested simply in making you more spiritual, but He also is redeeming you as a human. He's redeeming your flesh. And that this body that has so many frailties and weaknesses and that we have seen bent toward evil and darkened desires in the world around us, God is redeeming this for good. He's redeeming your life for good. Jesus is not just fully God and fully man, but Jesus, in Jesus, we find that it is God with us, right? 
Jesus isn't just over there. He's not just God who reveals holiness over there. And he's not just man who we can read about 2,000 years ago. But in Christ, we also find that he is God with us. Isaiah 7 tells us that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God's promise to his covenant people that he longs to be with them. And this is something I want you to grab a hold of individually and collectively as a hub this morning, that He is God and He is pre-existent and perfect, but He is also with us as one of us. And so sometimes, I, I, John Mark Comer is one of my favorite like preachers, teachers. He always says, you know, the, the 90s question, what would Jesus do? Some of you are still rocking the bracelets. You think you're going to bring them back. You're not. But you think you are, and that's fine. Um, but he always says the question is not what would Jesus do, But what would Jesus do if he was me? That's the question. Jesus comes as God in flesh, and it is God with us as one of us. God actually teaches us what it's like to be filled with the Christ life and to to follow him in the same way. And this is a really compelling thing. When you start to devote yourself to the scripture, you're going to notice something. There is this narrative arc, this golden thread that runs from the beginning of the book all the way to the end, and that's this. God is obsessed with being with his people. He really, like he is a fanatic about being with his creation. He's a fanatic about redeeming people and showing his mercy to people, but he wants to be with us. In Genesis, we actually see, and I'm going to do like a, like a 30 second run through if that's cool. And uh, that's very aggressive for me to say 30 seconds. We, we all know seven minutes. Uh, <laughs> in Genesis, we see God form Adam with his own hands. Think about that. All of creation, God speaks and things are formed. But when it comes to mankind, he he scoops up the dirt of the ground, the clay. He forms it with his own fingerprints into his own likeness, and he breathes his spirit, his breath into it. And this is the picture of nearness and intimacy. The Bible starts with intimacy, God at work, forming and shaping humanity, breathing his very spirit into humanity. And in Genesis 3, we actually see this picture of of God walking in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve live. It's connected and relational. And guys, I really believe you need to know that this is the kind of relationship God invites you back into. Um, It's not just, um, man, religious duty after religious duty. God invites you into a a relational, connected um, friendship, a relationship where He is leading us and guiding us, and it is close and near. And if you don't have that, it is on offer to us in the person of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Man, I get to be relational and connected with the God of the universe. But in that same chapter in Genesis 3, we see that the sin of Adam and Eve actually causes spiritual death that leads to physical death. And they are forced out of the garden and out of God's presence. And you got to see this as a tragic moment. It's not just the fall of humanity. It's the breakdown of God's design to be intimately connected with His people. They have chosen to walk away. Because of their sin, they can't maintain the same kind of relationship. But even then, God makes a promise to redeem humanity, to crush the serpent's head through the seed of the woman. And we see this theme continue in Exodus where God teaches Moses to make a tabernacle and an ark of the covenant over which God's presence can dwell. God's idea is no matter where my covenant people go, I want to be there with them. And so it's, it's not just him showing up, like he's not just a visitor who's traveling through, 
God wants to dwell with His people. And so He's there, His presence in the tabernacle, over the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat. And God's presence dwelt there. But you guys know the story. If you're reading or if you're doing a reading plan right now, like you're cresting up to this, that the high priest could only come before that mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, once a year. And even then, their sin was a real issue. They had to come in and make sacrifices to get in there. And the scriptures actually say, in case the high priest has sin, you need to tie a bell to him. Because if he dies and you don't hear that bell ring and you need to drag his dead body out. What's it saying? It's saying sin is still this buffer standing between us and God. In Revelation, we actually get this sneak peek, this glimpse of the holiness of God. I mean, like you may be wondering right now, like, do I need to be terrified of God? Like, why would I come and pray before God if he's going to kill me and I need to tie a bell around my waist? Like, in Christ, we don't need to do that. And that's kind of the point of today, is that God has made his dwelling among us in Jesus. But we get this picture of God's holiness and his purity um, and his righteousness. In, in Revelation, it says there are four living creatures. And if you've ever read it, it is some like freaky uh, sci-fi stuff, right? <laughs> and these uh, four living creatures are like hovering above these spheres and floating around. But it says that they are covered in eyes and all of the eyes of all of the four living creatures are focused on the throne of God with Yahweh God, the Father, sitting on the throne and all they can scream out is holy, holy, holy. All these eyes are looking into the fullness of who God is and the only thing, the only response that they have is you are completely set apart. You are unique in all your ways. There is none like you. You are perfect, uh, holy, holy, holy. It is this kind of relationship. God wants to draw us close to Him, but He is holy. And through the narrative arc of the Scriptures, God has been drawing His people into relationship in different ways to get us closer and closer and to break the power of sin so that we can be in intimate, connected relationship with Him once again. We see in in the story of Moses that Moses goes and he meets face-to-face with God, right? Uh, And I don't remember if this is in Exodus or Leviticus, but Moses spends some time with the Lord and God reveals his name and he gives him his commands. And it says that Moses comes down off the mountain and his face is radiating. It's glowing like an alien. Like this is what happens to mankind when they're in the holiness and the presence of God. God is actually pictured in different places in the scripture as light from the waist up and fire from the waist down. God is a consuming fire. Why am I telling you this stuff? Because God has this incredible hunger, this insatiable thirst to be in connected relationship with His people. But sin has been this buffer that has kept humanity back. And God, in His kindness, in His mercy, has fought to make a way for you and I to have this connected, intimate relationship with Him and to overcome this sin barrier. So how does that happen? How does the God who's consuming fire and holy and perfect How does He dwell among us without it killing us? Right? It's a good question. If if God was to appear in bodily form right now, fire and light, I I promise you, even though I have the Spirit of God in me, I'm pretty sure I would drop dead (laughs) and just go to be with Him. Like I, I don't think my body could handle it. Over and again, you see this in the Scriptures where an angel of the Lord will show up and he says, Hey, 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 don't be afraid. (laughs) Fear not is Bible language for quit freaking out. It's okay. You're not going to die. Or you see the prophets who fall on their faces and they say, I fell down on my face as though I was dead. 
This revelation of God, His presence, was so intense, there's no way my body could even handle it. How, how does this happen? He comes as one of us. Think about it. Since the beginning, God has longed to dwell with us. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, but now He, he comes to us as one of us so that He can be near to us. He puts on the same weary flesh, and the same struggle and temptation. Man, I don't know if you're anything like me, how you have struggled today, what temptation has flooded your heart and mind, what you have had to work through in the flesh to continue to live by faith in the Spirit. But Jesus puts on that same flesh. Hebrews tells us that He was tempted in every way as you are, and yet was without sin. He's God, but He's also man. He's God. He's perfect and holy and mighty, but He's also tangible. It's understandable. He's merciful and sympathetic because He has lived in the same kind of body you have. He understands your struggles and your pain. The, the writer of Hebrews actually tells us that Jesus is not just a representation of God, but He says that He is the radiance of God's glory. He, he is the outward manifestation of God's goodness. He's what happens when the, the invisibility cloak gets pulled off of God and you see Him. It's Jesus. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. This is who Jesus is. And in the flesh, Philippians 2 tells us that He, he self-emptied of His grasp on glory and He comes to dwell with us so that He can save us. God is obsessed with being with His people. God is obsessed with filling the earth with His glory, with His love and mercy. But He's obsessed with being with you. In an intimate, individual place, uh, with, with our church families. I'm looking at our church building and the work that's been going on. He's obsessed with filling our, our church home with His glory. He's obsessed with meeting with you day in and day out because He loves you. You know, it's no wonder that the Scriptures actually end with this picture of God's people alive in a new earth with resurrection bodies that can withstand the glory of God. I think that's the point of resurrection bodies, actually. It's not just for you to live forever. It's for you to be able to live in God's presence forever without dying. <laughs> think about it. So, so that when God comes back, this perishable body that's falling apart in front of you, flesh and blood that will one day stop working, God says that He's going to give me an imperishable body, something that won't fall apart, that will continue to thrive and live in His presence, bold and unashamed, unafraid, because He's made me like Him. Listen to it. I want to read it for you in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, and then we'll close. John the Revelator says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Which is an interesting, that's not even part of the passage. I just think you ought to underline it just for fun. There's no longer any sea in the new heaven and new earth. And the older I get, I respect that because that's where sharks live. Okay. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, listen, listen to the language. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to it. Man, God is pouring. He is pouring His heart. I love that. His dwelling place is among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. 
God himself will be, the, be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And in verse 5 he just says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Guys, one of the things that we want to grab a hold of in this new year, as we are rooting our feet and growing it as resilient people of faith, people rooted in Christ, as we devote ourselves to the Scriptures, we're going to see that God is revealing Jesus in history. From the very beginning, Jesus is revealed. All through the Old Testament, God is pointing to prototypes of Jesus. He's pointing to people who reveal and expose the character and the necessity of Jesus. And then we get to the New Testament where Jesus' face is revealed. And here we are as a church. Why is this important for us? Because the God who came down from the mountain to dwell among His people in the flesh as one of us, He calls us to do the very same. One of the things that's been rattling in us through this series is that our Christology, our Christology, sorry, informs our missiology, which forms our ecclesiology. What we believe about Jesus informs how we live and carry out the mission of God, which should shape the way that we do church and what it means to be together as the people of God. We have to gain that in our hearts and minds because Jesus came to us from heaven. God also sends us to this world. Our Christology that He is our Apostle and our missionary King, that He comes to us, He also sends us to the world. And so take some time this morning, I pray that you'll wrestle with this passage of Scripture, um, with John chapter 1, with Revelation 21, and spend some time asking yourself, where do I struggle with understanding Jesus? Is it that He's God or that He's man? And what are the demands that the Scriptures actually make on my life because of Him? We love you guys. Thanks for listening and taking time to watch. We'll see you later.